Hey friend, welcome to the Clyde Podcast. This is Willow, the host of this podcast and the founder and director of Collide. And I am so thrilled to hand you this next podcast for this week. I actually decided to break it up in two parts because I interviewed Sean Hofing, who's a licensed mental health counselor, and he is so amazing. And we had this incredible conversation about broken trust and how to build back and repair broken trust when you've experienced hurt and harm in relationships and how to recognize people who are safe. What does it look like to have conversations with people when you've been hurt? There were so many things that we talked about, so much wisdom from him. And so I hope that you will enjoy this first part of the conversation. Sean, I'm so excited to sit down and hang out with you and talk to you. In fact, last night at the dinner table, I told my family, I am very excited for my day tomorrow because I get to sit across one of my favorite counselors. You haven't counseled me personally, Mm -hmm. um, but we've had you to Clyde conferences several times and you're a fan favorite. I feel like every word you say, you drop wisdom and spiritual insight where people just start taking crazy notes and run out of paper. So um, usually those are really quick conversations that we have. And so I'm excited that I get to spend some time tapping into that brain and heart of yours and asking you questions. Thanks for hopping on. Well, well, thank you. Like, thank you for those words. I, (laughs) I have to take that in. That's, yeah, that's awesome to hear. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is fun. I have so many things I want to ask you, but I thought we'd kind of start with, you know, your vocation, career, calling questions. I'm super curious. You were a youth pastor for a really long time. What caused you to make the move from youth pastor to counselor? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I'll try and not make it too, too long because uh, there's a story behind that one. Uh, so a couple things. One, I think I've always had a bent towards counseling. So even when I was doing ministry, a lot more of my skill set came out with, there just was a lot of people hanging out in my office quite frequently. And um, in, in that time or in those times, what ended up happening was I just realized I started to get over my head in terms of some of the things that people were dealing with. And I was referring and trying to refer, and there was no one in the in our area. There is now, but at the time, there wasn't a lot of people in our area that I could even refer to. Um, and so trying to figure out that I'm like, ah, I, I either need to make a, a, a switch here and actually delve into this a little bit deeper and get a little bit more study, or... Um, yeah, or keep going. But then what ended up happening is I, I ended up having some pretty bad burnout. Um, for And the, the church at the time, bless their hearts, they, they gave me six months off to kind of recuperate, ended up coming back after the burnout season and, and went back and still did ministry for a while. But in that transition period, realizing it was like something has to change. I've got to re- rethink this in terms of working more out of my, my gifting, my wiring. Um, and so ended up going back to school and um, yeah, that's how that emerged. I, I think the, the the better part or the more interesting part was um, we were doing these uh, what's called a, we called them vision mission trips at the time, and so we would we didn't like doing a mission trip because we felt it was too much of us come trying to bring something to people 
Um, and that just felt, it, it just didn't feel good. So we ended up switching it. There was this mission vision trip that we would often go on the trip. And yes, we were bringing, we had tons of resources to bring. Um, and yet we were realizing in ministry there, we had so much to learn. So it, it became more of how do we partner with people who are locally doing work there um, and enhance their ministries, but also what was the thing that we needed to learn to kind of take back. Um, and one of the themes of the, uh, was always this, it's a, I think it's a Philip Yancey quote, but it goes, grace is like water. It flows downhill and pools in the lowest places. So if you want to find grace, you, you go to the lowest places. And mm-hmm. so that's what, that's what we did on these trips. So, uh, it was a little crazy. Uh, I was young, uh, but parents went along with it. Uh, they were on board um, and we had a really good team of people down there. But what we would do is the places where if you went on the, um, we were going to Guatemala at the time, but if you went on the website and it said, um, these are the places not to go, those were the places that we ended up going. But the reason we could go there was there already was people embedded in those communities were that were pretty dangerous but because they were such a good witness and such loving the community so well as long as we were with them and our name was attached to them we were completely safe mm-hmm. so we went into the maximum security prison in guatemala uh we were down in the, the guatemalan dump um mm. and uh just really places that you for tourist wise you just you couldn't go and on ordinary mission trips you just couldn't go and uh there was this one story uh, to give it, to give an example of it, what, what ended up happening in there was we're at the Guatemala city dump. And I think people live there on less than a dollar a day. And, and one of our students was like, just, uh, you could see the expression on their face. Like they're just horrified because it, it, it's smell and there's vultures kind of flying overhead. Mm-hmm. And, um, what we do there is we do these reflection questions and it's different when you read a biblical text in that environment than when you read it kind of just at your coffee table. Right. Um, and so we were reading some stories and, and, you know, like, where is God in all of this? And, and what does this look like? If grace is like water in the, lo- in the lowest places, well, what, what, what's God doing here? And so the, my, one of my friends who, who was working down there, he, he said, how many churches do you think like local churches work in this place? And, um, people made guesses and they, they figured it out and he's like, well, there's only one church that's actually supporting this. And we had just the morning of driven by like a couple of mega churches, uh, and massive other big churches. And we had visited a church that looked pretty on par with our church in terms of the church I was serving, like the, the makeup of the community was very similar. Their ministry was very similar. And he's like, that church we visited, they're not supporting anything down here. They don't do anything to do with this. They don't even know what's going on barely. Um, and he said, there's one little church that's kind of embedded in here and, and they support maybe like $500 a year because that's all they can pool together. It was a, a very low income church. And our students were just furious. Like, they're just like, what, what's wrong with Christians and why can't they do this? Um, and the vision part of the story was they're very similar to us. The question is, where's the dump in your backyard? Where's the low places in your backyard? And so it meant kind of coming back to the community and saying, you know, where are the places we're missing? Like that we just have our biases to that we, we don't know we're there. Mm-hmm. And that really reshaped ministry for me, for our students, because we found places that, I mean, even to this day, there's certain little signs that I'll, even if I'm driving Bellingham, I'm like, oh, there's ga- certain gang things. And I'm like, oh, people don't know it's there. And yet I can see because I've, I've kind of been in those low places. But where that translated is, you know, where's the low places in my story. And when I went through burnout, 
um, I didn't want to go into the low places of my story, right? Like mm -hmm. I was pushing those down. I like life is good over here. We don't have to do this. And, um, through the burnout episode, it kind of forced me to kind of go like, you know, you got to visit the places that I would consider low. And yet, um, they can be some of the most fruitful, glorious places there is. Um, and so in that journey, kind of finding the low places, now that's a lot what I do. <laughs> um, I sit with people in the low places. I sit with mm -hmm. people, uh, in the, in the Christian tradition, they have like, um, I always get it wrong, but the, the liturgy that, uh, not the liturgy, but the prayer of the hours. So you, you, there's certain prayers that you can pray at different time. And there's always the night prayer. Um, and what do you pray at night and kind of, and it's kind of praying for people who work at night. And there's, there's a, uh, I forget her last name. She has a, a, a beautiful book on it, but, um, in a lot of ways, I'm like, yeah, I do this during the day, but I am, the, I, I sit at night. <laughs> I sit at night with people. What's it like through the long, harrowing nights, uh, the dark nights of the souls, the, the, the places? And in ministry, it just got hard because, in some sense, people have pain with the church that got a lot. And so I was, I was sitting with people in this pain, and yet I'm also the representation of that sometimes because just by my title. Mm -hmm. uh, um, whereas when I shifted careers, kind of into this pastoral ministry, I could hold space in a different way because I, I, I don't have to. Because there is just certain things you have to do, like to keep the the organization running, and um, I just don't have to do some of those things. That now I can just actually sit with people, and a lot of people I sit with is uh, they're either current leaders in the in the institution, or they're really hurting and frustrated with the institution. And uh, I don't have I can I don't have the biases that I'm trying to play these dual roles of like I'm your pastor, and yet you're angry at me and this institution. Like, how do we help you move through? I I, I don't have to play that. And it's just easier. So I can kind of be that third party um, to then help support kind of the institution and, and help people, if that, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. It's it's really cool to hear how Jesus gave you a vision for your calling. Mm -hmm. And actually, through your your sort of former career, he gave you a vision while you're leading these people. And uh, it, just as you're talking, I'm just thinking when I think about Jesus, and you know this, we talk all the time around here about Jesus colliding with people. And when you look at him in the New Testament, he often was colliding with people in their low places. In fact, most mm -hmm. of the time, or maybe all of the time, he was, you know, with the woman caught in the act of adultery and there she mm -hmm. stood and, and people are condemning her and have stones in their hands. And I think about you know, the woman at the well and she's thirsty and, you know, she, what she's going from man after mm -hmm. man after man isn't filling her thirst, just these low places. And Jesus called you to sit with people in the lowest places. I love that quote that you said, grace pools in the lowest places. That's so good. I'm curious. So you take this brave, brave step, this big leap, um, and you go back to school, you get your degree, you get your license. Why did you name your practice Storyline? Hmm. Um, can I hold on to that question for one second and just kind of back up to what, what you were totally. even saying there? Yeah, which yeah. I think will fit into this in a second. But, um, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about Jesus colliding, right, um, we're on the other side of that collision in a lot of ways. Like I'm talking to you that on that story on the other side of a collision. But, you know, just collisions are trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and so what people, it, that's, the, that's the one thing that I would want to say, like kind of going through that period and kind of being in the low places, 
when you're in it, it often just feels awful. <laughs> like, uh, you know, finding calling and kind of discerning and, 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 and working that. And so what a trauma does is it's just, it's a shattering. Um, uh, everything gets shattered. Your, your mental map gets blown out that you're like, I, the things that I used to use to orient my world, the things that I used to hang on to there, I don't have some of those same things that I used to have. And so in those collisions, um, uh, I mean, this is even, uh, you know, when, when the cross, it, it's a, it's a trauma, right? So you've got all these different stories around it that are all like all, all over the place because they're, they're trying to make sense of something that really dramatic kind of happened to them. And then how do they kind of make a new map or re kind of build their life after that? And so one of the things to move through trauma or when there's a shattering is how do you, how do we get a, a, a narrative out of this? How do we get a, a narrative thread? How do we integrate parts of those stories uh, that we can't, that just don't make sense? Or it's like, what, like, what is God doing in this? And, and so story is just a really, uh, it's a beautiful way to help people kind of move through their trauma. Uh, tell me the story. Tell me that story again. How did you get here? What does this mean? And often we're integrating things. Um, like one of the things often with parents and, and kids is it like, we'll use that example. Like if a, if a child's in a car accident, um, that's a traumatic collision, right? And then afterwards, usually what we'll, we try and divert it and be like, let's go get some ice cream because we're, we're worried about them in a lot of ways. But in trauma theory, what you do is you actually have them try and retell the story. Like, what happened? What happened? Mm -hmm. What happened? And often they don't want to. So usually it's with time, little pieces of it will start coming together. And then over time, we construct the narrative. And they'll say it in their own language, like, dad drive, boom, because they're trying to make sense of it. And and so so for that part of when I when I went into training, I had always loved story. Like it, it uh, yeah, it was shaping my ministry. Some of the reasons why we were going and doing the vision trips was it was about living parables because parables are kind of these ways that you read a story and then it covertly kind of goes like, you're the man you're, or you're the person, right? Like, mm -hmm. you're like, ah, I love this story. And then you get all like enraged and indignant. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, it's me. Um, and so <laughs> we were trying to do like living parables, right? Like we were trying to invite people into an actual narrative story that was live and constructed. And so I always loved it, but I didn't have this language around trauma. I didn't, I didn't even know that that's how trauma works in terms of trying to make language patterns and, and figuring it out. And so when I got to school, started learning about it. Part of my training was about narrative and kind of learning to read story, learning to listen to people's story, listening to your own story, sitting in, in the low places. Um, and so from there, that's, there's usually a story behind it. What, what's the story? What's the storyline? Uh, when I sit with people, a lot of times we're in chapter three, but we really don't know what chapter four is going to bring. Um, mm -hmm. and I've sat in enough stories that I'm like, Whoa, did not see that one coming. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I, I just didn't, I, I couldn't have imagined it. And I think what people don't often realize too, with therapy is it's a very much an imaginative exercise, um, because you have to imagine something in order to go there. <laughs> if you can't imagine it, you can't go there. Right. Like, so, um, often, so that's where storyline comes from. It's just like, okay, what's your story? Uh, uh, yeah. Who are you? Where are you? What's your story? Where are you going? And then let's, let's, let's start constructing this narrative. And usually people will see threads that they didn't realize were there, um, themes they didn't know were there. And that helps make meaning, rebuilds connection, helps kind of make, makes the pieces back into maybe a collage or something that ha now has a new meaning or can be repurposed or 
redeemed or, or in those things. Is that, is that making sense? Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life, anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. Oh, totally. I'm just thinking even, you know, I'm resonating with what you're saying on a personal level. You know, I grew up with a lot of trauma and pain and never explored any of it or was given permission to share my story with anyone and was actually kind of made to stay quiet. And when I was around 21 years old, I was invited by a Christian woman who I rented a place from to come and sit in her kitchen and she would serve me snacks and coffee. And she started asking me about my story. And as I would share bits and pieces because someone was taking the time to honor my story and invite it out of me. It was the beginning of me realizing I had a story and she would ask me questions like, you know, didn't, didn't that hurt you, you know, in regards to some traumatic thing. And it was almost like I had never given myself the ability to recognize how my story and the chapters and moments in my story mm. did make me feel because my feelings were irrelevant yeah. um, for so long. And so <clears throat> the power of entering into someone's story like you do every day, all day, I just have so much respect for it. And I know it changes lives. I've been the recipient of that mm. on so mm. on so many accounts. So. I knew, Sean, when you and I were going to have this podcast conversation that there's so much we could talk about. So I, because I just love what you have to say about everything. But I really want to zero in on trust. Um, as you shared with me sort of offline, that seems to be sort of a reoccurring theme that you are helping a lot of people work through. And there's this sense that a lot of people have had their trust broken and then they, you know, experience that. And then they live having a very hard time trusting others going forward. Um, can you kind of talk to us about what is broken trust, those experiences of, of broken trust, what do they do to us? Um, hmm. Well, um, I'll I'll try and give you uh I'm trying to think how best to formulate this in a way that's gonna make the most sense. Um well I'll back up. I'll back up a little bit just to to incorporate kind of what you just said about sitting at that table. Um part of this comes from a, a his name is Gabor Mate. Um and what he says about trauma is 
trauma is less what happens to you. Not that that's not awful and needs to be honored and needs to be like recognized for what it is, but more about what happens inside of you. And what happens inside of you is you are left alone in it by yourself. Um, and so you at the dinner table uh, telling your story, yes, there was an element of you telling your story, but as you retold your story, relived your story, you someone was in it with you. Um, someone was listening to you. Someone was connected to you, tracking with you, following you. So you didn't go through the, you, you were reliving the trauma, but now you weren't living it alone. And so often when there's a betrayal or how that happens, part of that shattering that we talk about in trauma is it shatters that sense of connection kind of inside ourselves. So often we feel like, can I trust myself? Uh, like how how like I trusted them in the first what kind of person would trust them in the first place? How could I do it? So there's this all this self-doubt comes up and this connection with self can get a little bit severed in a lot of ways. The connection with the other person feel like I don't know if I can trust you. I, I feel like I'm alone in this because I don't feel you're actually hearing and understanding me, or how could you do that? Uh, that can uh, even expand to like, well, where was God in all of that? Right? So disconnection from God. So if you if you think about it like uh, saying it theologically, we would talk about shalom. Shalom is right connection with God, right connection with self, right connection with others, and right connection with the earth. And having all four things kind of in right connection. Uh, and those get shattered in trauma in, in some form or another, which causes the, yeah, the lack of peace in us. From a psychology perspective, we call that integration. We get disintegrated. And so much of the work is kind of trying to integrate it. Um, but you, it's hard to do alone because you, you don't trust all of that. Hmm. So it just leads to a lot of self-doubt. Um, again, relationally, you distance yourself from other people because you don't trust them. You can't lean on them, um, which that just, it spirals. It causes all, because we're, we're, we need community in so many different ways, right? So it just leads to different problems. Um, sometimes you'll self-sabotage, you'll push the people away, even though they might be actually trustworthy, um, because you can't trust yourself to trust them. And yeah, it, as you were saying, like things just start to open up more and more and more, and you can feel like the kind of shattering going out and outward spirals, if, if that makes sense. So I want to hone in on some of the unhealthy ways that we begin to protect ourselves in relationships after we experience broken trust, because it seems like we go into this very protective mode, and that's really what it is, but it comes out in all these kind of like dysfunctional, like our distrust is coming out sideways and we do weird stuff to protect ourselves in relationships. What are some of the things you see people do? You mentioned self-sabotage. What are some other things? Uh, well, I, I'll give you an image because you can see me, but I'll, I'll try my best to kind of describe it to people. Um, if you think of, so if you think of like a center line and then radiating out of that center line, there's one kind of going up on a 45-degree angle, and then there's one going down on a 45-degree angle. And then there's that center line. Since the moment we're born, we have needs that, that we need. And we have to figure out how do we get those needs met. And this is all based on trust, right? Can I trust my caregiver 
to give me the needs that I need in order to survive in this world. Uh, so it starts like right off the bat. And you could be a very, very good mom. So like this doesn't mean it's bad parenting or anything, but just be overtired or uh, massive things going on in your life, like your own stressors that you might miss certain opportunities, again, not intentionally, to meet a need. And so what happens is we develop coping strategies in the world. And on this upward trajectory, this is what I call the high side. And on the downward trajectory, we call it the low side. And typically when we think about like coping strategies for against the trust, we tend to think of uh, the low side. So those are when people come in and, and like my catchphrase is behavior is communication. So when someone comes into my office and they're behaving in a particular way, I don't ask why the symptoms, I ask why the pain. So what what is it? Why why is this kid acting out? Or why it why the affair? Why what's going on that the behavior is trying to communicate something that can't be expressed in words? And if you think about this with kids, they do it all the time, right? They don't know what they're feeling. They can't say it, so they show you. Um, this that doesn't go away in us. There's sometimes we just don't know what it is, and so we're trying to communicate it and the best we know how, and if we've never been taught it, the best way we know how sometimes is to blow things up, is to is, is addictive behaviors, is, 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 to, is that deconstructing kind of side of it. Is that, is that making sense? Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got names. I got people. I got my own issues. I'm, they're just, you know, it's all just flooding my brain right now. Good job, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other side, this is the one that's a little less known or a little harder. Um, and this is like, this was a parable moment for me in a lot of ways. Not that I'm, I'm all, all of this, but if someone comes into my office and they're like valid Victorian and they got like two PhDs and they were president of blah, 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 uh, those equally, that's the high side of coping strategies. Hmm. What did you have to do to become so self-reliant and prove your worth in the world? So you do it, but, I mean, if you want to get parable, like, right, older child, younger child, uh, in terms of the parable of the prodigal son, right? Like, what did you have to do to earn your keep in the world that I don't need to trust anyone because I'm, I'm so perfectly self-sufficient and, and, and it's there. And that, that was the eye-opening experience for me because not, I was never valedictorian <laughs> or never that, but, but there is a sense like I, I have a, I have a master's of divinity and I have a master's of counts. Like I have two masters and, um, I have, it's not that you, it's not that you're one or the other. You tend to have a little bit of the low side and you, you tend to have some high side just it depends on the extreme of it is is really like how the, the two go apart from each other um so that's what makes it tricky because it can show up with really good behavior so if someone comes into my office and they're just overtly good <laughs> i'm also like okay where was trust shattered for you where, where why why can't you be it, why is it not safe enough for you to make a mistake um why why are you so hyper vigilant that you've got to get this all right and be be doing this and um, so those are the broad categories. And then from there, like, that's where you start to get into some of these, the more specific things of, um, yeah, things that people will say or things that will do that it's just, it's really hard for them, uh, cause they don't feel safe. I mean, trust would be another way of saying, if you don't feel safe, what do you, what are you doing to make it feel safe for you? Does that, does that make sense? Does that help? Oh, oh yeah. I have so many, so many questions for you. How do you see our trust issues that we have with humans being projected onto Jesus? One of the rules of thumb in therapy is you really want to avoid the word words always and never. 
um, like always this and it's never this. Um, but I would say statistically, it's probably a lot for a lot of people that come into my office. Um, it, it's very similar. It's very similar to it that I can almost directly um, correlate it to it in, in a lot of ways if, if that's where they want to start talking about it. Or they'll, they'll be talking about um, how much is your, you know, they'll have an event and they'll be like, how much is your trust in God actually associated to this person kind of living, showing up for you? Um, and, and it makes sense. Like the theologic, this is putting on my pastor's hat, but theologically it makes sense that God needs a body. So one of the unique things of our belief in the incarnation within the Christian tradition is that God needs a body in some sense. And so there has to be some sort of embodied presence. And if there's an embodied presence, that's how we learn what God looks like and how God acts. And so this is why it's so devastating and can shatter that connection with God when a trust, a betrayal has happened in a community, right? Because, mm-hmm. because they're connected. If, if you're supposed to be representing God in some sense, uh, is that how God works in the world? Can I, can I trust God in that sense? And, and so it's very, I, I think I'm, the reason why I'm pausing is because I think I'm learning even more and more just even how subtly that has shown up in my own life. Um, you know, a little bit personal, I, I'm kind of coming out of my own 10 year, I'd say dark night of the soul. Uh, it's been a long kind of trying to make sense. Not that there isn't like moments of where a lot of, uh, good and and shifting things have happened, but, or I've made a lot of sense and a lot of growth has happened, but there's just been some parts that I'm now I'm starting to get the subtle nuances of like, Oh, this is why I, 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 I come close and I run away. This is why in these unique ways in my own story, it's like, oh, this makes sense because this is how I live in relationship with people. So it makes sense that in my prayer life or my lack thereof at times, it's like, oh, I'm doing the same thing that I do with my wife. <laughs> like, um, or, or I'm doing the same thing that I've done with my, my, my family. It's just so subtle that we don't always notice it, right? Like it, it, and it just takes time to, I mean, it's hard enough just to admit that you're doing that at times in your real life, let alone in, in your faith life. So yes, very much. It, it, you can usually find a pattern. Wow, wow, wow. There's so much to take in in this conversation, so much so that you have to join me next week where Sean and I deep dive more into a conversation around uh, our pain being contained by someone because it's easier than to actually attune to someone else's pain. We talk about how better to repair broken trust and so many other things. So make sure you come back for part two of this podcast next week. But in the meantime, friend, I hope that you will know that you are worthy of relationship. You're worthy of relationship that is safe, that is honoring, and that is healthy. And my prayer is that as you keep colliding with Jesus, that you would know that more and more and more, and that you would know that He is trustworthy, and that you would be able to take cues from Him to learn how to create trustworthy spaces for other people, but also allow Him into those hurting parts that have experienced distrust and allow Him to begin stitching you up 
If you need some stitching up, I really do encourage you to turn to our Collide Counseling Bundle that's taught by 12 professional mental health therapists where they talk about 12 different topics that we need healing for and it's in this kind of vein where you'll just be taking notes and there's so much wisdom from these mental health therapists so make sure to check it out and keep colliding friend we'll catch you for part two next week